So we begin in the sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. We said last week, Luke loves details. Luke, like no, none of the other writers of the Gospels, loves detail. He wants to let us know where it is. He likes the facts. He likes the who, what, when, where, why of a thing. And he sets the scene for us. When then? Where well, he says in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. It's in the context of that story and that chapter. It's helpful that we understand that because he's just written about Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary's cousin. And in telling us about that, Luke told us in verse 5 of chapter 1 that it was in the time that Herod was king of Judea. Most scholars would then help us by dating that to somewhere between 6 and 4 BC. We know when. Luke roots this account firmly in history for us. This isn't just a fairy tale. This is concrete. It actually happened. (laughs) Gabriel actually came at a point in history and spoke to this young woman. Where did it happen? Nazareth in Galilee. You can look it up. In fact, if you want to go there, you can go visit still today. You might not want to at the moment, but you can. Still there in northern Israel. Who? We've got a couple of characters in play. Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, who appears by name to three people in the Bible. The prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, where he explains to Daniel the meaning of a vision that Daniel has had. Next, he appears to Zechariah, we read about last week, to foretell and announce the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. And finally, he appears to Mary here. And Gabriel's name, the one who would come and make this announcement or these announcements, means God is great. That's a detail that God thought and Luke thought was worth including. It's not just an angel came. No, the angel whose name is God is great came to Mary at this point in history to deliver this news. Mary, she's our other character, a virgin, engaged, pledged to be married to Joseph. We get more detail there. Joseph, a descendant of David, By marrying Joseph, Mary is then placed in the family tree that God has promised the Messiah would be born into. Mary is not, by society's standards, a big deal, actually. She's no big shot. In fact, in the kind of society that she was living in, Mary would have been very easily overlooked. And Luke doesn't seek to big Mary up, actually, when you read this account. He's realistic about her credentials. The the most notable thing 
in introducing her as a character that Luke gives us is who she's engaged to. We're not supposed to see Mary as an influential or powerful character. We're supposed to understand that she's a, a young woman of limited means who is going to marry into a family that does carry some great promises. But she's not. Mary's not a mover and shaker. Like she's, she has no clout. And yet God chooses her. It's interesting when you look through the Bible often, the people who God chooses are generally not the ones that we'd be inclined to choose. <coughs> what happened? Well, we read from verse 28. Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one. The Lord is with you. Just pause. What have we just heard about Mary? What do we know about Mary? And Gabriel comes and says, Greetings, favoured one. The Lord is with you. Mary, highly favoured. God's with you. But Mary's a nobody. Mary, God's with you. so important that we understand like Luke doesn't want us to miss that he doesn't tell us that the family line that Mary's from because it's not an important one it's not one that would make us go wow but Mary in her humble estate is found by God who says you favoured Guys, realistically, that is our condition before God. There is nothing greatly impressive or noteworthy about us, actually, in the grand scheme. And yet, in his mercy, God comes to us and says, Hey, you, highly favored. The Lord is with you. Amazing. We read on from verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. This is a usual response. We said last week, people don't encounter angels in scripture and see it as a casual thing. They're generally afraid. They're generally concerned. There's generally an an aspect of fear. Mary is experiencing all of that. She's trying to work out what on earth is going on. Like, hang on a minute. (laughs) Like, I was just here, and an angel's appeared and said to me, Mary, (laughs) greetings, highly favored of the Lord. God's with you. She's like, whoa, (laughs) that's not what I was expecting. What's going on? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow. I mean, that's quite an announcement, isn't it? 
We can be so over-familiar with this because we hear it every Christmas and every school nativity play, but just think about the enormity of what's just been said to this young girl. As much as you're able to, try and put yourself in Mary's shoes. The Jewish people have been waiting for the promised Messiah for hundreds and hundreds of years. We said last week with Zechariah, they've actually been waiting in silence for 400 years. The prophets having foretold of the coming Messiah and then the speaking stopped. And for 400 years, they've waited in silence. Mary, like the rest of her people, would have been waiting with longing, probably a sense of hope deferred, like will the Messiah ever come? Like is God ever even going to renew his promise to us that he last spoke 400 years ago? Waiting now under Roman occupation for the one who will liberate them. A king who would establish the kingdom of God. Mary was amongst them, waiting for this Messiah, this young, unmarried woman. Try and put yourself in her shoes. This is staggering, isn't it? And an angel appears to her and says, she's highly favored of God. That's a pretty cool start. If you're in Mary's position. See, if you're in anyone's position, that's a cool start. But Mary is concerned what the angel might mean by this. The angel steps it up a notch then, tells her she's going to conceive and give birth to a son, and that that child will be the king, the Messiah, the one her and all of her relatives and all of their ancestors have been longing for. The promised rescuer, the son of the Most High, the Lord God's going to give him, her son, the throne of David. Just imagine being in her shoes. It's like, okay, are you sure? Like me? Really? You can imagine her mind whirring. Well, you know, she's engaged to, to one of David's descendants, Joseph. And so, you know, and they are engaged. And the angel doesn't say what's going to happen or how this is going to happen. So where might your mind jump if you were Mary? Bear in mind at this point, there's been no mention of a miraculous birth. The angels just said, you're going to conceive and have a child, and that child is going to sit on the throne of David. You think, well, I, I think probably if I was Mary, I would be struggling to process what I had just heard, but if I could get any rational thoughts out, it would probably be right. Well, me and Joe are going to get married. I knew that. And, and we're going to have a baby boy. Hey, that's good news. And and we'll call him Jesus, because that's what the angel just said. And somehow God's going to make him king because of 
Joseph, and he'll be a distant descendant of David because of that. And so, well, I mean, 28 generations, mind, so there's probably a lot of other successors to the throne. But, but well, I don't know. I guess that could work somehow. Like, humanly speaking, even, she's got to be trying to process, like, what does this look like? How on earth? God can do whatever he wants, but so Mary says back to the angel, she's like, I just, I just need to understand. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Mary questions the angel's pronouncement, but it's interesting that the structure of the sentence and the way she asks is not in doubt or disbelief. She doesn't her line of inquiry is not whether it will happen. It's not if it will happen. It's simply how it will happen. She doesn't disbelieve that God's going to accomplish this. Her response is one full of faith. But she's just saying, I don't know how. It's like, God, I know you can. But I don't know how. So a faith-filled response to God doesn't actually require throwing our brains away. It's okay to ask, like, Lord, I know you can do it, but, like, how? (laughs) Help me understand. Mary doesn't doubt that he can do it. And so she asks, how? That's really okay. In fact, that's, that's a healthy response. Remember Zechariah last week? His questioning was different, actually. His questioning was not just a, a, a how could it happen, Zechariah doubted. He wanted convincing that it could happen. That's the, the line of his inquiry. Is he's like, yeah, like I'm not sure. Like, you're going to need to convince me that that could happen because I'm really old and my wife's barren. And his, the line of his inquiry is different. The angel's words aren't enough for Zechariah to be certain of the promises of God. He wants more assurance. His response isn't faith-filled. He believes the circumstances, his age, his wife's barrenness more than the word of God. And as a result, he's struck dumb by the angel until John is born. Mary, in contrast, believes. She doesn't doubt that God could do it. She just wants to know how it's going to happen. She struggles to wrap her head around it. Where Zechariah didn't respond in faith, Mary just like the heroes of the faith who had gone before her did. She asked the question and she believed God could do it. I wonder how would you respond? What would your response be? Maybe what is your response today? A saviour has been given. Do you struggle to see how that's possible at times? You can have eternal life with God because of this saviour born to a virgin. How are you going to respond to that message? Faith or with doubt? Will you put your faith and trust in God even if you can't quite wrap your head around it? Well, we don't always get a clear answer when we ask the how. Sometimes we do though. And Mary does. And it's probably the least palatable answer that you could imagine, actually. 
Again, if you put yourself in Mary's shoes, see, this is great news. But when she asks, how's God going to do it? The answer she receives is not the answer she would have been hoping for, trust me. See, well, you and Joseph are going to get married. And then, well, you know, Mary, these things happen when you're married. See, that's, that would have been a palatable answer. It, it still would have left her scratching her head over how this child would end up on David's throne. But the answer she receives is not an easy one to swallow. We read from verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. and Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. The angel speaks into Mary's questions, tells her what will happen, and it's crazy. Like, it's nuts. It makes no sense. Like, if you weren't aware, and I, looking around the room, I think you probably all are, this isn't how babies are conceived. This is crazy. <laughs> the angel puts it out there, says, this is what's going to happen, Mary. This is no ordinary conception. And seals it by saying, no word from God will ever fail. That's an amazing truth, isn't it? No word from God will ever fail. Nothing will be impossible with God. Elizabeth is proof of this, and you're going to be proof of it too. Imagine if God said this to you, or something even half as crazy. Like, just scale it back. Even, like, half as crazy as this. Even a tenth as crazy as this. How would you respond? Would you respond in faith? Mary's response is one of the most phenomenal responses to God in all of human history. Like, it really is. It's absolutely stunning. The Mary continues to respond with faith and staggering humility. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This is amazing. <laughs> like this really is an amazing response when you've heard something like that. Mary doesn't say, no way, Gabriel. <laughs> like, you have no idea what you're talking about. That's crazy. That can't happen. And that might have seemed a reasonable response, actually. I would have been more inclined to respond like that, I think, probably. <clears throat> no, she hears and she believes. And she trusts that God knows best. She responds with humility. She doesn't put herself first, but she declares, no, I and the Lord's servant. If, if that's God's word, let it happen to me, just like you said it. God, your will, not mine. The implications for Mary, an unmarried virgin, to be expecting a baby are absolutely huge. 
And I know like we've all heard that before and we all have this kind of notion. But I think it would be genuinely difficult for us as 21st century Westerners to understand just how catastrophically scandalous this would have been. Mary would have been disowned by her family for this. She would have been unable to worship in the temple. I mean, get anywhere near the temple, out of the question. She would have been entirely disapproved of in society. Considered unclean, just, just completely rejected for an unmarried woman to be with child. But to put it mildly, this wasn't going to go down well with Joseph. Mary had a choice. It's like, I, I really believe Mary had a choice. She could have said, I don't want it. I'm not up for that. The, the cost is too high. I'm not prepared to go through with that. You're going to have to choose someone else. Mary had a choice. Obey God and make way for the king, the one who would bring hope and light and life to all mankind, and in so doing, risk rejection, abandonment, isolation, scorn, and shame. Or avoid the pain and difficulty and act in self-interest and say, I'm sorry, I'm not up for this. And in some ways, at a much less dramatic level, we actually face a similar choice today. To respond in faith and humility, put God and others first, or respond in self-interest and pride, put ourselves first. We can say yes to the king and his mission, and that might have implications for us, but it will. Actually, it might risk scorn, ridicule. You don't believe that, do you? Like, do you really believe those fairy tales? I thought you were an intelligent person. Actually, no one's ever said that to me, but um, well, they've probably said it to you. <laughs> the intelligent bit. People have said the fairy tales bit to me. You don't really believe that, do you? Are you serious? See, we could risk scorn and ridicule for the sake of bringing life and light and hope into a world that walks in darkness. Or we can take the easy way out and hide our light under a bucket. Just kind of keep it down. Like, don't talk about religion. Like, just keep a low profile. Just... And the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2. 
this encouragement. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Imitate Christ's humility. Mary got it. She responded in faith and humility that is absolutely staggering. What an incredible woman. What an amazing example of godly faith and humility. Paul, a few verses later in that chapter in Philippians, says this is what it means to work out your salvation to choose the will of the Father, to prefer others, to follow the example of Mary and most significantly of Jesus. Choose the will of God. Make way for the King this Christmas in your own heart, but also in the lives of those around you. Respond to God with faith and humility. Share the love of God with those around you for their good and for his glory. God sent an angel to Mary to announce that the king was coming. But he sent you to those around you to announce that the king has come. Just want to say that again. God sent an angel to Mary to announce that the king was coming. But if you're a Christian, he sent you to those around you to announce that the king has come. He sent you to share with your friends and family and colleagues and classmates and anyone else who you might meet. To say to them, the good news To encourage them, saying, guys, if you come to God, you put your trust in Jesus to forgive your sins. If you trust Jesus to bring you into a right relationship with God, that's good news for you. You've found favor with God. You've found favor with God. As we conclude, I want to encourage you to respond like Mary. I want to encourage you to respond with faith and humility. To take heart again this Advent. The promises of God are true. (coughs) No word from God will ever fail should give us great courage and great confidence. He's promised that he's going to come back. We talked last week about waiting, waiting faithfully 
for the return. That kind of active waiting. We can wait with incredible confidence this Advent because no word from God will ever fail. So we respond in faith, but we want to respond to in humility. Working out our salvation, having the same attitude as Jesus. Not acting in self-interest, but loving and serving others. The, the truth is this. The most profound way that you can love someone else actually is to share the good news of Jesus with them. Like, there are lots of practical ways that we can love and serve people. And we must. We're called to do that. To not act in self-interest, but to act in the interest of others. To meet practical need wherever we can. But if we stop at just physical acts of love and meeting physical needs, then actually we miss the most profound act of love that we can give to someone, which is to point them to Jesus. See, meeting someone's physical need here and now is a good thing. But it doesn't last for eternity. We want to be those who respond in humility and love. Who remember the example of Christ. Who celebrate the example of Christ. And who follow the example of Christ. I'm going to pray for us to that end. I just want to encourage you to, um, to actively engage as we pray. I want to pray for us that we would be those who respond like Mary. Faith and humility this Advent time. But if you want that for yourself, then I want to encourage you to pray too. Lord, we thank you again for your word. God, I thank you for the example we have in Mary, actually. Lord, I know that I have never had to actually count the cost in the way that she did in saying yes to you. The level of humility and faith that was required for her to respond with a yes I'm the Lord's servant. Let it happen, just like he said. It is beyond that which I have had to experience. And yet at the same time, I want to pray, Lord, would you help us to respond to you like Mary? Lord, I pray that you would help us again to count the cost, to be prepared like Mary was, to give up everything for the sake of knowing you and making you known. 
Lord, I pray that we would not be a people who act in self-interest, but a people who in humility consider others better than ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would not be a people who keep our mouths closed in order to keep the peace or preserve our reputation or whatever it might be. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to winsomely, lovingly, humbly, faithfully share the good news with those around us. Even if that costs. Even if that means scorn or ridicule or rejection. Lord, I pray that you would help us to respond in faith and humility and say, yes, I'm going to tell them. A, because in love it's the most important message they could possibly hear. And B, because Lord, you've called me to it. So I want to do it. Boldness and faith. Even if it costs. Lord, I pray that you would fill us again with your spirit now. And help us to respond well to you this Christmas time. For the good of those around us, Lord. And for your glory. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.